Hello and welcome to the Five Star Podcast. My name is Tom Savage. Hope you're having a good uh, Tuesday. I think this is um, a bit like the Five Star Podcast from a couple of weeks ago. Uh, I'm going to cover a, a fair few things on this where I'm going to, I suppose, look at the game, Monster vs. the Sharks, which was really, really interesting, and also look at the... I suppose some of the rugby news has come up over the last couple of, of, of days. And I suppose I'll start off with the, the Monster vs. Sharks game in Durban. Incredibly interesting game. You look at the way Munster were able to, I suppose, dog out that second half, which is the main story uh, coming from that game. You just look at how much character that shows, what sort of belief, I think, is in this group to come back from such a challenging opening half. I mean, where, look, to be fair, it was like nightmare mode, where it seemed that everything that we would have said before the game that we wanted to not happen was happening inside the first 10 minutes. And, you know, for Munster to come back from that and to, you know, be an inch away from, from winning the game with a bonus point shows just that there's a lot of character in the in, in the group of young players here and that some of our senior guys are playing incredibly well and I think that's a, a big part of this team doing what I suppose what they've done over the last two weeks let's throw our minds back if we go back to earlier in the season we go back to I mean we're not even talking that long ago the aftermath of the Glasgow game where I think looking at that game and looking at how it played out you could make a very clear case that Like, the team bottled that game. Bottled the first half, certainly. Came back and played well in the second half, but the game was lost, you know, in in that first half. 28-0. Just, again, just a really poor performance. To go from that to then go the week after, um, or two weeks after, whatever it was. um, No, I think it was actually the week after. To go down to Durban at the hottest part of the day down there, in the sweat box, and get, again, look, beating out the gate when it counted you know at that point with out of Europe after an incredibly disappointing last home game of the regular season it came down to these two games a South African tour not too you could look at the Lions look I know we lost there last year but I think the Lions this year weirdly enough are a worse side than what they were last year you look at the I suppose the the options that are there in front of you where you're going to be playing the current URC champions who were unbeaten in South Africa um, for two years. And then after that, you're, you've are you got to go and play the team that knocked you out of Europe um, in fairly humiliating circumstances, not a few weeks prior. Um, it's a big ask and a big challenge. And, you know, I've said it a good few times, you show what you are as a team when you're on the back when you're on the ropes like this and once we're on the ropes coming into that tour like you look at the the circumstances where Munster had an opportunity to nail down a home quarter final against Glasgow bottled that game 
I don't want to hear nobody telling me that the team who played really well over the last two games, you know, for the full 80 minutes against the Stormers and for, you know, 45, 50 minutes against the Sharks, that that team is incapable of beating Glasgow at home. I don't want to hear it. That looked like a game where that Munster side came out not in the right headspace and got walloped. Now, to an extent, there is an element of you have to have your size on the pitch um, and certainly against Glasgow they're capable of playing very big and, and we will have a bit of a rumble with them in a couple of weeks for sure but I'm looking at um, the team how they've responded since those two really disappointing results and it can only be said that it's an exemplary response now it didn't just happen by all accounts there was some very harsh words there were some very tough sessions there were some very difficult conversations that have happened in the aftermath of those two games Munster had two weeks basically during the European break to sit down and stew on what was um, two season distorting results bear in mind back at the end of October Munster were 14th in the URC we were um so far off even qualifying for the top eight even then there was a talk about it being uh, like the top seven having to be enough depending how the Challenge Cup went but like you look at where we are now and we went on a run in October where we've only lost twice in the league since then but that game against Glasgow because of all the, the games we lost in the first block of the season we've been in must win mode so that was an opportunity to steal fourth from Glasgow and if the results had played out as they played out we would be in fourth now with a home uh, quarter final probably against Glasgow so look I think that the the recovery um, made those losses seem all the worse but with the hard conversations that came with the difficult conversations and the difficult sessions and the you know the fucking arguments that were there let's be fucking clear um, Munster were up against it coming down on this tour that win against the Stormers was superb really good one of the best performances of the last number of years and one of the most credible performances from the last number of years but playing in Cape Town is different to playing in Durban especially with the the, the weather conditions that were there again on Saturday look it's a difficult place to play because it's it's a difficult place to, to, to play sports look it's it's an incredibly humid place it's incredibly warm even in the evenings so like that's an, an advantage that the Sharks have they're used to that to a certain extent but honestly you look at the way Munster stuck in there and were able to produce in the second half after again a bad start to the half a 35 minute performance that again should have won the game and like we look back at that first half I've, I've watched the game three times now you watch that first half you're seeing as I said there earlier a lot of the issues that you would have said were you know dressing room wall issues number one <laughs> when you're looking at coming into this game let's keep their line out out of the game let's keep their scrum out of the game let's make them play and we let their scrum into the game almost straight away and then we let their line out into the game almost straight away and there was a feeling certainly in that first half watching it even watching it back there was a feeling of oh fuck here we go again it's like that start of the second half vibe from that Champions Cup quarter final so look I, I think that um, to a certain extent that comes down to 
the caliber of, uh, the caliber of the opposition like uh, sharks went as strong as they possibly could for this game and they're a really good example of the power of a super heavyweight front row like uh, Thomas Detoy was the dominant player in the field here closely followed by Ox and Che and uh, they were really just a nightmare to deal with in that first half and especially in the first 20-25 minutes they made it so difficult for Munster to get anything going from a momentum perspective like you look at uh, Detoy just an incredibly effective player in the modern game like he's a he's a big heavy scrummager he's a way better scrummager I think than he, than he has any right to be at his height like he's a big powerful guy and um, he was giving Jeremy Lockman an, an awful time but when that, that only really works when you combine it with their loose head hooker unit which honestly I think has the you know when you look at from a scrummaging perspective who has the the, the best scrummaging hooker and loose head unit in this league I would go with Oxen Che and I would go with Bongi in Bonambi they are around the same height they are absolutely just unbelievably strong scrummagers Oxen Che in particular is like the nightmare opponent for Stephen Archer. Like Stephen Archer has been a revelation since he's come back from injury this season and in, in the latter half of the year. Um like he's been outstanding. And scrummaging wise, like I'll give you an like a, an example as to like how good a scrummager he is usually. Like he dealt with um Nothutoko Machunu, like their lucid lucid replacement, who's a big physical guy. Archer dealt with him not a bother not a bother and without that disruption on the loose head side uh, Carlo Sadie who is a you know obviously he's no slouch as a scrummager himself was able to um, wasn't able to, do, to get the same amount of disruption on Jeremy Lockman and later uh, Josh Richardy like I had people asking me like did Carlo Sadie come on because there wasn't the level of uh, destruction that we normally see from this guy in the scrum because again in the same way that uh, Oxen Che is a nightmare to scrummage against, Carlo Sadie, I would say, is in exactly the same boat um, with regards to dangerous, really heavy, kind of smaller, nugget, not, not even nuggety, he's like wide as a fucking fridge. But like, that's the sort of, of one-two punch they typically hit you with. But because the, the, the scrum was so dominant for the Sharks inside the first, I would say, 50, 60 minutes where genuinely it looked like they could win a penalty on both sides of the put-in regardless of, of, of where it was in the field. Um, that kept them really in a dominant position in the game where they weren't necessarily kicking those points or they, they, they did do in the in the start of the second half, but it was allowing them to kick deep into our 22 and to maul. And like you look at what worked for them in the scrum also was working in the maul because they have really strong, low, powerful players that we struggled to get any sort of decent stop on them consistently. Once they got close range position in and around our, our five meter line, it was a red alert stage there and we were doing very well to stop them the few times that we did, but like all of their tries came from close range mall position and most of those came from uh, a scrum penalty. So we were really, really struggling from there. Like to be honest, like we, we conceded nine penalties total. The majority of those were in the scrum. Um, and you could go, well, look, how do you improve that? To a certain point, like styles make fights when it comes to your 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 your, your scrummaging. Munster last week gave the Stormers nothing and they had Stephen Kitchoff they had um, Franz Malherbe as their two main scrummaging props in that game and they kept them on for the majority they didn't get a stir out of us why was it so bad this this week in comparison scrummaging against Stephen Kitchoff if you're Stephen Archer 
I think you'll do that all day. You might lose the odd one, but Stephen Archer is so well able to handle big loose heads. Like, he's able to control them far better. Oxen Shea is a bit like... Imagine Dennis Buckley, but he's an even better scrummager. That's Oxen Che because he's so short. And the same with Bongi and Monambi. Like, they are the exact same height. So when those guys are getting in and scrummaging, and if Oxen Che can get in and underneath you, and you'll see this in a lot of the scrums that Munster had here, you'll collapse across. Like, you'll... Because and, and you, if you look at some of the ones from earlier in the game, Stephen Archer was getting lifted and popped, and then the scrum was driving in. And as it, everything broke up, you've Thomas to toy then driving through Jeremy Lockman with essentially nobody behind him because the tight head side has been completely collapsed so like Inche was a dominant player here and the scrum was a massive factor especially because like we wanted to keep a hold of the ball like our intent here was to play with a ton of on-ball rugby and to do that you need to have an effective breakdown which to be fair we did have for the majority of the game like our breakdown work in the first half against the Sharks and for the majority was actually pretty poor but for this game it was actually really good all the way through but the I suppose we were effective in cleaning the breakdown but when you combine the energy of the Sharks blitz we weren't able to get around and outside them until later in the game but we weren't able to do it later in the game without the work we'd put down in the first half. So that, to me, was was a kind of a, a, a good way to manage the game over the course of the full 80 minutes. Now, I should clarify, it, it was not the plan to go, to go down by 19 points. Um, but, like, the idea was, I think, that Munster would look to retain that possession to stress the Sharks over time. Not just, you know, over the course of maybe 10 or 15 or 20 minutes... I've got the mic around the wrong way. Um, but to, to have it be, um, I suppose, something that you could build on as the game goes on. If you're going to play on-ball rugby, you have to understand that the aim of every phase or sequence is to score a try or to you know create an opportunity where a try can be scored. But there is the, the, the other benefit of it is, is that the longer the opposition are defending, the more gives you know the, the more benefits I suppose that gives you towards the end of the game, and I think we certainly reaped those as the game went on. Um, watching the game back again, look, I expected to see in the first half because we we didn't score all that much. I expected to see um, more um, inefficient rock entries, but to be honest, there was only like it was actually a good bit down on on what we on what I would have expected you know I, I, I would I, like we did much better basically than what I assumed um, it seemed that the biggest issue for us was even though we were getting good rock cleans we weren't necessarily recycling the ball as quickly as what we would have liked and what that did was is it opened up a ton of uh edge blitz opportunities for the likes of Noche for the likes of Pepsi Butelazi once he replaced Sia Khaleesi who by the way hope that guy's alright you know uh, it's kind of been reported since that he's damaged his meniscus which could be four months out it could be nine months out it's April right the World Cup is coming up later this year I think it would be a shame if Sia Khaleesi was not there to captain a Springboks. For me, he's the greatest Springbok captain of all time. Not only that, he's an he's an outstanding player, so it was a real shame to see him coming off in this one with uh, with uh, uh, the knee injury that it, that it appears he's after picking up. And hopefully it's something he can recover from a little bit more quickly. There's no doubting, though, that with him off the field, um, Noche and Pepsi Butelese were a different kind of build. 
it took away a little bit of the security that the 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 sharks had in that not necessarily the edge space but with regards to their line speed um and the the leaders of their line speed see Khaleesi is a very very good player in that regard we didn't make great decisions when it comes to our play calling for a lot of that first half but the edge pressure that we were getting from the likes of uh, Noche and from the likes of Pepsi Budelese really gave us a tough time and pressured our handling and it's not that like uh, look I think in this game you can see at once why it'll be a shame to lose Malachi Fekitoa because he looked great in, in the second half uh, certainly in the last 20 minutes but also why we needed to get somebody in who suits what we want to do a little bit better um, Fekitoa is not the best player when it comes to I would say being a, a, an on-ball midfielder he's the guy who you want getting the pass right before the last pass his ability to offload his ability to win some tight collisions is actually pretty good his uh, especially in this system to file out to be essentially a power winger as he was at key moments here um, is good but I feel that we need somebody who's got a more balanced skill set as a handler and a passer to make what we want to do work that little bit better. In 10, 12 and 13 in this system, all three of those guys need to be quite similar with regards to what they're able to do. Antoine Frisch, I thought, played pretty well and had some good moments, especially kind of underrated small moments um, that kind of helped us get this win. But at Malik Fekatoa, it was either really good stuff or stuff that looked like it had no business being in this system and I think part of the reason why we wanted to get that business done of moving him on to get in um, Alex Nankivell gives us that um, that profile going forward and, and even Sean O'Brien fits into that profile going forward of being just a very well balanced player who can give you a bit of something extra if you need it but is comfortable on the ball is a comfortable kicker of the ball that's something I feel is going to be a big factor for us going forward but like a lot of the the, the messages I got in the build up to this or in the aftermath rather were about Jack Crowley uh, certainly compared to Ben Healy Ben Healy played really well off the bench had some good moments kicking the ball again and looked really comfortable um Jack Crowley didn't have the same sort of firework moments although he would have had an assist with a slightly kinder bounce to uh, to Shane Daly but the intensity and the line speed that he was dealing with in the first 55 minutes night and day compared to the the second half against the Sharks and I think that when I watched this game back there were one or two poor moments from Jack Crowley where he should have maybe taken a ball there was one where it was Conor Murray looking to make the pass and um, it just kind of spun out of Jack's fingers right near the try line Um, that was one moment I think he should have maybe done better on but some of the other moments where he's his kicking looked really good um, his ability to keep playing his pod organisation his strategizing looked good there were a few moments where he was let down by like Malachi Fekitoa I showed it there where it was a perfectly reasonable pass into the screen Fekitoa just wasn't expecting it and that ends up the ball spilling and there was another one where he took a pass from Shane Daly that was kind of more at his neck <laughs> and knocked on the ball under pressure but like he is learning and I think we forget sometimes with Ben Healy is that he's got an entire extra season of experience that he's leaning on plus as well some really good confidence at the moment that he's gotten from the Scottish camp like Ben Healy's playing extraordinarily well like I think he's showing here even for the bits and pieces that I felt where there were limitations in his game 
at the moment he's showing beyond those limitations where he's looking like a guy who can you know attack guys on the line he's looking like a player who can um you know bring that variety to his game where he was always a good kicker of the ball like he was always a guy who like the crossfield kick that he would hit for that he hit for Calvin Nash's try who we'll speak about in a minute like Ben Ben Healy could have done that in his first season right that was always in his game but what I've really liked is his ability to bring his physicality into the game a little bit more where he is attacking the line he is throwing passes out of contact he is backing himself to make those passes late earlier in the season they weren't there like he was passing a little bit early and like and and, and the his variety wasn't anywhere near where it is now and like a lot of that comes down to but I'm putting it down to look a fella developing and getting confidence over the year which which happens with younger players as Ben Healy still is but I look at the I suppose the 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 confidence that you would get playing test rugby and coming in and going you know because he didn't have a sniff at Ireland level for three seasons and he was playing really like he was playing enough where like honestly I feel that if Ben Healy was playing at that same level at Leinster he would have been in and he would have got a, a call up and probably even one or two caps off the back of it it, like there was obviously a frustration there that he wasn't getting the sort of even the call up to the squad where you're going okay look nobody's saying cap the guy but just to give him a look at a squad and to see well how he does in camp um then when you see him not going on the emerging ireland tour i think from that stage the writing was on the wall for ben healy really munster wanted to keep him offered him a contract but this guy wants to play test rugby and i think you look at how well he's playing here has to back himself or he'll he probably will be the starting 10 for for edinburgh next season with, with blair kinghorn going and being a a really really good fullback i think that that's going to be a really good combination for edinburgh and i think ben healy is a guy who will go to the world cup with scotland i'd be shocked if he didn't at this stage um whereas that was never going to be an option for him at ireland so i look i think that you look at what ben healy has done and i think that He's shown that in the second half of these games where the opposition is maybe the heat's dying down a little bit from their end, the line speed they're able to they're able to to impact. But like there were some good moments for Jack Crowley as well, especially in the build up to uh, the penalty try that comes from pace, his own variety, his own threat as a, as a ball carrier as well, which I think teams are now able to respect, which opens up options for him as well. I think that once he gets back to Ireland. I think I wouldn't be surprised to see him starting away to uh, to Glasgow in the conditions that we're expecting there on the pitch that we know is there in Scotston. I think that Jack Crowley can have a massive game there. But he's in that spot now where there is expectation on him. When you are starting as a 10 for Munster and he has started these last three big games at, at, at 10, like that gives you an idea as to how rated he is and how much they're putting into him to build those experiences into him. So, look, I, I think with Jack, like, the positives are all there for him. And when you combine Ben Healy coming on at 55 minutes and, you know, against a tiring opposition, against a team that the line speed isn't really at the same intensity, no better man than Ben Healy. And I think that his his uh, his goal kicking, his uh, the length of his exits and some of the counter-transition stuff that we were playing, again, look, can't really doubt how good this guy is and um, yeah look he's brimming on confidence and, and more power to him because if he keeps performing like that off the bench um, then Jesus like that's a guy who could win you a game a, a knockout game you know and I think that 
that would be a fitting end for this guy if he can get to a final after the Toulouse game last year in the Aviva wouldn't that be something else if he can kind of reverse it around this time but you look at the quality he's playing with I think what Ben Healy's shown in this last couple of in these last couple of games and I think what it really as it relates to other players who are thinking well geez look Ben Healy is a guy who didn't get a sniff at Ireland level for two or three years he goes away to Scotland camp gets capped comes back buzzing now he's performing with a huge level of confidence now some guys aren't qualified for Scotland or anybody else but that should give them a bit of I suppose a bit of a spur on because if he's able to go there and come back and do that there's no saying that they can't use the same level of confidence whereas like Ben Healy everybody thought that he was just a a mid-level guy but he's coming back now and playing like a top player maybe I can do that and that's something I think that should stand to these guys to show look Ben Healy wasn't rated here too but he's actually a top fucking player as well so I think that's uh, been one of the the, the big upshots over the last couple of um, weeks certainly down in South Africa but yeah, look, overall, um, Munster approached this game with a kind of a, a tightened approach. Um, our typical pass per carry rate in this game uh, over the last couple, well, over the, over the season, really, the average has been around 1.4, which is, again, very expensive. Certainly way more expensive than what Munster had been used to. But when you look at this game, it was pulled right back underneath 1.3, 1.25, I think it was last I checked. That's quite tight for this team. But we needed that. We needed to be able to retain the ball, and we had to try and pull and rein in some of our um, some of our, our our intent, I suppose, with ball in hand. Because the best way to take out an edged blitz defense is to tighten up your game, not picking goals, but to play a little bit more off nine, and then start to run, and then start to to play your screen ball. I think we were far more effective in the second half because we took out their edge defense they weren't able to kind of take us on and and we tried this in the first half where we were running plays with a a pot of three off ten and then you had a screen runner behind that three pod and then you had uh, a stacked runner um, a looping winger and an uh, an edge attacker in Calvin Nash or Shane Daly um, depending on the side and again I think that brought in a little bit too much their their edge defence and it required a, a kind of a, a level of accuracy in the past that we didn't quite have when it mattered in the second half though the intensity wasn't there for them they were tiring and all of a sudden we're finding those layers we're finding those stacked runners and impacting the game and that's the that's the biggest thing that we can look out for um in that we improved half to half in that regard and that's a massive positive so you're looking overall as well at our um our our scrum like i said wasn't great but we dug it out in the end like when it was really important in the last 15 minutes we were rock solid didn't give an entry um the line out uh, offensively was much better defensively was much better as well we had some big steals from finney and Richardy in particular well one massive one right towards the end this was on a knife edge, like because again, a few guys, like, like I think I spoke about it at the Radio, where there were guys asking, like, why is Dear or uh, Scott Buckley not coming on? Why is uh, Keenan Knox not coming on? Um, as it was, we knew we had a stable scrum with both of those guys in the field. The scrum had killed us all game, so if you make a change there, you could, you know, blow the season, you know, because like, like I said, styles make fights, and like 
I think with Dermot Barron, he has been in this position before where he was the guy who wasn't coming on while the other fella did 80 minutes. So, like, you look at how important Dermot Barron is this season to Munster, I would say the same thing for Scott Buckley in that next year, this could be you with the young fella wondering why he's not getting on. Um, so, it's, it's one of those... It's a tough situation and it's something that, obviously, you like to see all the players named play. But I think given the circumstances with the scrum as dominant as what, as what it was in this game for, for the Sharks once we had stability I think we were going to try and stay with that as much as possible um, but Dermot Barron I think showed in these last two weeks that he's really pushed on um, like I think there's more in him I think he's a guy who when it's all said and done I think will be an Irish regular I think he's got a lot of Rob Herring like vibes where he's not really the most explosive guy in the same way that a Dan Sheen or a Ronan Kelleher would be but I think what he's shown in these last couple of weeks with his um, his lineup work and his consistency there is that he's got very very solid basics he went through a rough period this year actually when it comes to his throwing but I, I think in this game and I think when you look over the course of the season I think he's shown that when there's a settled unit there that the combinations are fairly you know that it's not guys coming in and out and one fella injured one week and somebody else coming back in the next that he's able to hit his targets really really well and his line out throwing I think once that settles because he's still relatively young as a hooker once that settles in I think that he's got the best variety in the country when it, when it comes to the amount of throws that he can hit so I think that um, you know his scrummaging I think is, 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 is after coming on too his all around game is very good he's again look he would I think when we're judging hookers at the moment I think we're looking at the likes of Dan Sheehan or looking at Ronan Kelleher they're different types of players I feel to Dermot Barron he gives you like you want a breakdown penalty here like a you know not that Dan Sheehan can't do that but I think that his role if you're to look at it as a hooker would be a hooker plus kind of traditional open side uh, skills I think that would suit Dermot Barron where he's a good breakdown threat he's an aggressive breakdown guy which he was I think he was really good here on top of what he showed last week against the Stormers where he was you know making big aggressive high velocity shots at the breakdown that just helps you perform it helps your team run especially when you're playing a high, a high tempo game like this his overall skill set his passing I think has actually come on as well but there's way more to come from Dermot Barron I feel I think he's got test level potential in him um, where down the line like not this year maybe not maybe not even next year but I think if he just keeps building his resume as a guy um, and and stays fit and keeps adding size there's a very very good player there and I wouldn't be surprised when if he comes back from the preseason looking a little bit more like Bongi and Bonambi from a size perspective that that's a guy then who'll start getting into those Irish camps because he's got the potential I feel um, but yeah, no, like I, I think overall, I gave very, very high scores for the vast majority of the players here where they all perform when it mattered. I'm just looking here now at Calvin Nash's try that he scores where when he takes that ball off Ben Healy and that ball, like he is in a whole ton of space on the edge. He takes it just inside the 10 meter line, right in the middle of the of the tram line. And he's got Werner Cock ahead of him. And I think that's um, Macazzoli Mapimpi who's kind of, who's guiding that there. I think, honestly, that finish from Calvin Nash is one of the best of the season. And it shows the level of confidence that this guy is playing with, that he's able to like, not only visualise that, but to have the confidence then to execute it on 
a very difficult surface where you know there's lads who are slipping and sliding all day long the pace the energy the vision to be able to do that that's a guy who is performing at an incredibly high level people on to me all weekend saying look will he go to the world cup should he go to the world cup at this stage i'm not sure unless he gets a call up into the training camp over the summer which who knows he might and and if he gets a run of the warm-up games with a few injuries elsewhere maybe at the moment i i I would be surprised to see him getting in to be honest because they seem to be set for the majority of those wing positions at the moment i would say he's playing better than likes of jordan larmore but it's not necessarily about playing better than jordan larmore like they've got their settled um wingers in that they've got Hansen, they've got um Lowe. I think Stockdale is still going to be involved there as well. And I think when you look at the breakdown of how they're going to go with their wingers here, I think it might be a little bit too late for Calvin Nash. But I think in the aftermath of the World Cup, if he keeps performing to the same level and keeps scoring big tries as he has done, that's a guy who I think Ireland will come knocking sooner or later. And I think that's just you've got you've you've got to kind of just got to keep playing to the same level. And like he's showing at the moment, like peak Andrew Conway, like, but even faster and even more agile. Um, that potential was always there in Calvin Nash, and it's good to see him realizing it now on a really big stage. Do you know, like to see him doing this against the Sharks in Durban, where like it's coming into the the last quarter, you need somebody, you you need a fella to make a play, and he makes it. Outstanding, uh, really, really good performance from him. Um, yeah and I suppose overall looking at like the performance like I gave three five star performances I gave Jean Klein one outstanding just again his work rate his impact in the game his ball carrying have come on so much and he's just a rock for this team just playing every single week and playing for the most part outstanding rugby like, he wasn't great in that game uh, a couple of weeks ago but he more than turned it around here Looked really really good really effective a top player Finney Witcherly criticised him a fair bit this year but this was really good at the start of the at the start of the game I felt that we were struggling in the aggregate because we missed the size of RG Snaman now that, that doesn't mean that Finney was playing poorly either he's just not RG Snaman and nobody is except for RG so you look at what you'd want from Finney Witcherly then is good line out calling which we got from him but you're also looking for him then to be aggressive and impactful at the breakdown. He was really good there. Defensively as well, he put himself about also. Just really good aggression and the kind of uh, performance that I think he needs to bring. Like where he, he's not, he's not, he's never going to be the biggest second row going. Okay. Like he's 6'4-ish, like 6'4", six, 6'5". Six, not the biggest guy going in the modern game. But he's worked a bit on his physique. He's come back a little bit better from his ball carrying. He's more effective there. And you know I think if he keeps just building his resume there who's to say where it goes for him but like as in he's a bit down the chart I would say for Ireland at this stage but look he's performing well for Munster and that's all that matters so like this was a big game from him and he had a, a game winning moment for me and almost a season defining moment when he stole that line out at the back which looked like peak Billy Holland but he looked physically at home in this game especially as the game started going deep where he looked far better than the you know than, than the, some of the guys who the Sharks had rotating in alongside Trollberg who I thought played actually quite well for them as well uh, Peter Romani I gave a 5 star podcast beca- or 5 star podcast I gave him a 5 star rating because he was just very good again took a yellow card but I would take that yellow card all day long um, the South African teams and I think, I think this is in the South African rugby collective brain I would say where they see a guy like Omani with the reputation he has and they want to try and wind him up um, it's the exact opposite of what you should do with, with Peter Omani as I spoke about uh, last week um, it brings him further into the game now he was playing well anyway here but 
his breakdown work, his like his ball carrying again, his line-out work was very, very sharp. There was one take, I think, in the build-up to what ended up being Conor Murray's try, where he had a take at the back of the line-out, which was just of the highest standard, of the highest standard. Getting up high, at the peak of the jump, his control there is excellent, his count line is like He's just a very, very good, very, very complete player who I think at this stage he's playing like outstanding rugby. And, you know, I think he's showing here that this Peter Romani is a game winner and a trophy winner for this Munster rugby team. I believe that because if he plays to this level against Glasgow and then in the semi-final, we'll make a final. But that's the challenge to get him to that level. Alex Kendallin, I gave four stars. He had a few mistakes here. But he was being physically targeted all day long by the Sharks and he just kept at it. His breakdown work was really intense, really impactful. Um, he was carrying hard. Like I said, made a few mistakes, but fuck it, kept going. Um, Stephen Archer, by the way, gave a four-star performance. Would have been five stars, but there was a lot of scrummaging issues, so I couldn't really do it with that. But to play 80 minutes is supremely impressive and it just goes to show how well he's playing and how well he's played since he's come back just very very good and like again his line out work his mauling was always very good but like you look at his control in the scrum once and went off the field um again locked out one area of the game that the sharks felt that they had a really decisive advantage uh gavin coombs i also gave five stars because man he is so complete now he was throwing offloads here. He was uh, winning tight collisions against huge men. His breakdown work was, again, very, 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 very active. He was active in the lineout. Over the last couple of weeks, his role seems to have gone from being more of a Billy Vunapola type number eight, where he's the primary ball carrier almost by default, and that's the majority of what he does, to being... A bit of a Dwayne Vermeulen type number, type number, uh, a tight number eight, where he is kind of that that half lock power forward. Where yeah, he can win collisions, but he's got a lot of responsibilities at the line out on both sides of the ball, and also his breakdown work, really high volume, and that's something that he's added to his game in this in the latter half of the season, but it's really kicked up over the last few weeks. He was my man of the match for Munster in the the, the Durban game uh, from the Champions Cup. He was outstanding last week against the the Stormers and he was outstanding here again with his breakdown work too. He's really rounded out his game and he's looking like a very, very complete player. And uh, yeah, it it wasn't needed. I think he was just as effective in his previous role, but what he's added to his game now makes him somebody who's of a higher value to the national team. And that's going to be a big thing for, for Gavin Coombs going forward. Uh, Calvin Nash, I gave five stars to also because he's playing absolutely outstanding rugby. And I think the quality of his uh, try here, but just the other involvements he has as well, where he's able to just zip through small spaces and just really hurt guys ball in hand. Um, speed, the agility, the explosiveness he's playing with. This kicking game is really rounded as well. He's playing very, very well. Um, Edwin Dogboy thought it great off the bench, as did Jack O'Donoghue. Um, Josh Witcherly as well played 20 minutes. Thought he did okay, looked good. Um, more of that's needed. But yeah, overall, very, very strong performance. And I think that the, the Munster were more than unlucky to come away without the win, given how, you know, didn't even look at a TMO for that last try. But look, the referee's right there. Shows that we needed to get a job done we had to get back within seven 
that, that like the, the nature of that comeback I think was really really good because it just again it just builds belief into this team that when we play well we beat and we can score tries and we can beat anybody that level of belief that level of character it's good to have especially after the downswing that we had Glasgow and the first Sharks game to come back with this it almost makes those games the sort of you know learning opportunity that people often talk about them being we know what doesn't work now but we also know what does so I think that with that level of 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 approach and the application and physicality that we saw for the full 80 minutes here we can beat teams and we can beat teams on the road um, the biggest redemption for Munster this season I think has come on the road you look at the away game against Leinster where we were really close in that game until injuries kind of fucked us and we fell away at the end but you look at the away performance against Toulouse you look at the away performance against Ulster against Northampton this is where this team kind of had their backs against the wall and they had to show something and we saw in this South African tour that they showed more than enough because they got seven points out of two games that I think that honestly when you look back at, at the the way the season ended saved the season for us and it's amazing how we can turn around from the start of the season being so bad to having these really competitive hard-edged performances right at the end that shows that as a baseline what this team can achieve is really really good and it just gives you a lot of hope going forward uh, because again I've had people asking like what are Munster going to do in the playoffs and all this other stuff look I think if we can beat uh, Glasgow that's a great season remember this season started off with an entirely new way of playing an entirely new coaching staff and a bunch of young players who were coming in and 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 you know getting bedded in like you look at the games Kendellan has played this year the games that Hodnett has played the games that like Edwin Adogbo as a you know this is basically his first year as a fit academy player and he's getting played and getting these great minutes like this is a team who I think are building and there's more players who are needed to come in I think just there's more play, players that will need to cycle out but honestly you look at how well that they've done compared to the start of the season I think that there's lots and lots to like there and I think that that away quarter final against Glasgow will be difficult for sure but while they're off playing a, a fairly high intensity semi-final one week we're waiting and we're getting ready to play up in Scotstown with uh, a bee in our fucking bonnet let's put it that way about that result in Thoman Park we will not lack for motivation and that gives uh, an opportunity for a semi-final against be it Leinster or be it the Sharks we will take any of those two teams on and give it a fucking rattle if it's Leinster look that's going to be an incredibly difficult game whatever way you cut it we haven't beaten them regularly in God only knows how long um, but I think with this team if we if they play to their to the level that we've seen they will give them a rattle and see how it goes Leinster are still at a different level to us at the moment but things change every season and I, I would hope that in the next season or two we get a little bit closer but what we've seen in these last two games is is that when the heat comes on with this team after the fucking chastening a couple of weeks before they do not go missing they do not quit and I think that's something that we've associated with all great monster teams of the past that isn't to say that this is a this, that this is a great monster team yes but I think they've got the potential and I think that's something that we can always look at with a bit of a bit of hope and uh, something to look forward to and I think with the playoff run coming Champions Cup rugby secured there's a lot there for us to like and I think there's lots for, for Munster to I suppose to build on um, the positives at the end of the season will go long into pre-season I feel into the start of next year because we've shown that we can do it 
And I think that's the biggest thing with a team. You can talk about it all you want. At a certain point, you have to show it. And winning away to the Stormers and, and pulling back a lead like that against the Sharks will give them a lot of confidence. I truly believe that. So uh, some of the other little questions and comments I've had coming in in the aftermath of this was, I've been asked over the last couple of days, because last week on Twitter, I was speaking about hype. I was speaking about, um, and w- with specific reference to, to Sam Prendergast. Um, this has been on a lot of podcasts, and I think they've been roundabout referencing my <laughs> my, 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 my Twitter tread. Um, but uh, my own thoughts on it with regards to the hype on Sam Prendergast is I think it's wrong. And I'll tell you why I think it's wrong. It's not wrong, first of all, to say that a young player is very good. That's not wrong at all. What my issue is, is that over the last couple of, and I'm just going to go over the last season, right? And let's talk about the guys who have been named as being the Sexton, the heir to the Sexton throne, we'll say. At the start of the season, it was Kieran Frawley. He had a good, well, one good game in the summer against uh, the Maori All Blacks in New Zealand, where he looked competent at 10. And in that time then, the media, and I'm speaking about here, the mainstream media, which I'm again makes me sound a little bit like fucking Glenn Beck, but I'm going to say it anyway. The likes of the Irish Times, the likes of the Irish Independent, the likes of, I suppose the 42.ie would be, you know, fairly mainstream at this stage. Talking about Kieran Frawley as being the next guy up. Um, the Emerging Ireland Tour seemed to be created almost to get those minutes into Kieran Frawley. Now, it turned out he ended up missing it because of injury. Um, but he was played at 10 for the uh, Ireland A team uh, in November against the, it wasn't the Murray All Blacks, it was New Zealand 15 or whatever it was. And um, didn't really play well, but got an injury that, that kind of ruled him out. So that was that hype on hold for the time being. Now bear in mind, there was articles, there was radio segments, there was podcast segments about how good Kieran Frawley is at 10, even though very few people had actually seen him going there and running there relatively recently or, or even consistently. There was this idea being that if Andy Farrell and um, the the lads at, at Ireland Camp felt that he could play there, then, that, then they must be able to play there. So he must be the heir apparent to Sexton. Now, this was all in the environment where the assumption was, I think, over the last couple of years that it would be Joey Carberry who would be the heir apparent to Sexton. Because, again, look, Sexton has been the most important player in Irish rugby for the last, thir- t- well, at least the last 10 years. But, I mean, you, you could argue before that as well. So, replacing him is a big deal. You know, because, again, he's just won a Grand Slam with Ireland just just this, this spring, you know. So, looking at... Carberry, especially in his drop-off after the World Cup in 2019, which, to be honest, was mainly injury, it puts a lot of question marks there as to, well, who is going to be the guy who's going to replace him? Like, who is going to replace this guy? And I suppose the natural successor to that guy initially was Carberry, but after he was injured for so long, I think that nobody really could look at that and say with any certainty that he's going to come back and be the guy. Like, when he came back from injury, he was certainly benching for sex, and even in the... Uh, the the tour of New Zealand but it seemed that if Sexton was fit he was going to play 77 fucking minutes minimum if he was fit and if there was a few if there was space for Joey if the game was won afterwards he might come on so like even in the summer before Joey Carberry was dropped it seemed like there was no confidence whatsoever from that Irish group that he was going to be the guy or certainly from Farrah and Cat because they weren't selecting accordingly like 
last summer you could say well Ross Byrne like should he have gone on the tour to, to, to New Zealand I think Harry Byrne ended up going another guy who was hyped as the, 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 the heir to Sexton in the aftermath of the 2019 World Cup and another guy for whom it didn't work out and they just moved on from him so quickly that's kind of what my point is is that you can't say on the one hand this guy is going to be the guy like remember Brian O'Driscoll talking about the apprenticeship the apprenticeship needs to be over for Harry Byrne after he played well in a test window game in January when all the test guys were gone from both teams against the Scarlets right who that year were not doing well and it's decided after he plays well in a test window game against a mid-level opponent this guy the apprenticeship need the apprenticeship is over when is he going to start for Ireland and then he actually gets into Ireland camp right and he gets capped and doesn't play well and then it's like it's like nobody ever hyped him before so then it moves on to the next guy Kieran Frawley well Kieran Frawley's the next guy now then when Leo Cullen doesn't really seem to rate him as a 10 at all and rarely if ever plays him there he gets injured and then Ross Byrne comes back in who's had a relatively decent season with Leinster um, he has been more aggressive he's been more outgoing on field he comes on against Australia does very little other than kick the winning penalty which again is a, is a huge thing like, like won the game but he did not come on and boss that game like you would look at oh that's like watching Sexton reborn he absolutely didn't around the field he was very average but he makes a big kick and all of a sudden Ross is back baby Ross is the guy and now where's Kieran Frawley there's no reference to the fact that Kieran Frawley was the guy a month ago and now it's now it's now it's Ross Byrne and in, in that case it wasn't even a month ago it was a couple of weeks prior and now it's Ross Byrne as the guy and he was always the guy and he was always the guy he was there in plain sight the whole time we just didn't see it and now Sam Prendergast has a good couple of games in the Six Nations and now all of a sudden he should be going to the World Cup I've listened to those segments of the radio with Keith Wood and what's his fucking name Rory O'Connor I've heard these guys talking these are serious rugby people who are talking about Sam Prendergast after one decent game against a very poor Lions side who by the way conceded 35 points to Zebra the week after that this guy who played well in that game and who because uh, again I, I didn't watch the last half of that game so when I heard he kicked the winner I was just like fuck it he must have landed a fucking serious kick from there it was right in front of the posts and they're talking about this guy like he needs to be going to the World Cup at 19 that to me is bonkers and it's unfair on this player because he's not like as in he is not going to the World Cup I would be shocked if he went because he's 19 he's got one senior cap and what we've seen of it well he's actually got two because he had a game against the Bulls and he just looked again like a 19 year old who was just getting powdered in defence that will not do with a World Cup like you look at the way that the Bulls who are again they're, they're, they're the third best South African team in the URC this season they've been up and down but they were jogging through him defensively looked even from a defensive perspective that just won't do when it comes to the, like the, at, at the, the World Cup because honestly you're looking at what do you have to look at from this guy to say with any certainty that this guy is going to be a serious player at pro level you can't say anything like that at the moment I have my beliefs that I think that he can be a really good player 
in a few years. But like he needs at least a season's worth of SNC. Like he's he's tall, he's six five. He's rangy, he's got a good boot. He's a, a a decent passer of the ball. But like he's not some freak player who's just like a, a, a savant at ten, in the same way that you might go with, with you know James Ryan, who, you know, after a year in the academy was all of a sudden like playing, you know, getting capped. Like that's different. It's a different expectation for a player like that. You're asking that guy to lead us. And if there was an injury, like say Sexton doesn't recover, right? And say Ross Byrne has a bit like last season, like when when the Heat came on against big serious teams, that all of a sudden he's not performing either. You want that guy, Sam Prendergast, to start a World Cup game against South Africa with the entire cycle on the line? I, I wouldn't because that, that that's ridiculously unfair on that player like what Sam Prendergast needs for, for me is a big preseason where he's able to go way off and and guess you know build some more size build his rugby frame and just start building pictures as a pro player you know like playing well in an under 26 nations is absolutely it's night and day even from division 1a rugby like honestly it's just it, it it's because I I've watched him playing. I think it was was it for Lansdowne, um, where he was he was okay. But when when he was playing against other you know big like fucking serious like adult male rugby players, look he he looked a little bit stiff. He was still a very good goal kicker, and he still got a great long boot in him. But you need way more. And my problem is that when you're hyping a guy like that, it's never about the hype. It's about when you move on to the next guy. And then that guy is just kind of cast by the wayside. Like, look at Harry Byrne. Like, the way that he was being spoken about, he was Dan Carter reborn when he first broke on the scene with nothing worth talking about in that manner. We're not talking about a guy who was destroying big, serious teams. We're talking about a young player who did well in a few games in a system that like that, that runs really well, surrounded by, you know, very, very experienced quality players. This is kind of what I'm talking about. Is that when you start pumping that guy, to, oh, he should be starting for Ireland. When you then move on from that guy, it's like, you're first of all, I think you're shortchanging your audience because you don't acknowledge the fact that, well, you were hyping this guy last year and now he's doing nothing. So we're hyping this guy now and we're expected to believe that what we're hearing from you is is actual real measured analysis. Like, people assume that of me constantly but I don't hype guys to that level I think uh, like a guy like Edwin Adogbo can be a serious player but I'm not saying he needs to go to a World Cup in September that'd be way too soon even getting into a Six Nations squad a wider squad next year would be great for him but I'm talking about the wider squad I'm not talking about starting him against France this is kind of where we're talking about here where I'm kind of expecting like who's going to step in here and just kind of kind of go well, like, well hang on this guy is 19 He's not necessarily blowing the barn doors off, even when this supposedly fantastic performance against the Lions, which I've watched back now in full, he was okay. He was stepping and slinging a little bit. That was way more exaggerated in the in the in the uh, uh, Bulls game. But like this is kind of where we're at. In that, all it takes is one performance and some good, you know, some good performances in the in in a in a under twenty six nations, which. Again, look, standards there are kind of wavering year to year. Like, it's just, it's very, very weird. And it's like, 
my problem with the hype is not saying that a good young player is good it's when you start labeling this guy that well he's going to play for he's got to go to the world cup actually when what he should be doing is going in the under 20 world championships going away on a fucking holiday for himself coming back into pre-season getting himself built up that way in the Leinster system with the coaches there while you know the World Cup is on watching the fucking World Cup games with a pint in his hands with his friends and like hitting the season afterwards I think a great season for him next year at Leinster would be getting 10 plus URC games making the bench for a Champions Cup game maybe starting one at the end if the if, if Leinster have their business done relatively early and then just building himself in as an actual like as an actual serious player and like it's not that he's not a serious player now or will never be will never be but we have to keep this in context and it's like the idea is that like oh well look he he's not aware of this hype come off it come off it they all fucking read the newspapers they all read twitter they all listen to the podcasts when they're mentioned because their friends are and their family are and they go oh do you hear what your man said about you on the podcast and if you don't think that that's happening you need to learn and speak to more rugby players from a realistic standpoint of course they listen if you ask him in a press conference oh did you hear the stuff in the media about you no we don't we, we don't really pay attention of course they do they just don't talk about it in press conferences of they all look at it they, and, I, and, thing is, and I, I'll tell you why I know for a fact why do you think I know for a fact that players look at what's said about them on any kind of platform why would you think I'd know that ask yourself that this is what I'm on about that of course they want to hear what people are saying about them be it good and sometimes even when it's bad of course they do because they're human beings they're young players who are in this kind of big fucking spectator sport where it's incredibly like when you're playing well there's very little that feels as good in the world as when you're playing well in a spectator sport like this and of course they want to hear praise about how well they're doing or whatever else like that the problem with hype that is goes outside reality is that when it doesn't work you're kind of putting stuff into a player's head that it's it's tough to get out and ask yourself this if hype was good for a player why would leo cullen be trying to not hype the player if it's good for him and if it's a good thing why is leo cullen the head coach not doing it and why is he trying to dissuade people from doing it if it's a good thing ask yourself that because again look there's no there's no problem with hype I want because again because I hype players I feel in a realistic way where I'm talking about their inherent characteristics when I'm talking about Peter Romani as the war god for example on Twitter am I saying he should captain the Lions I'm not I'm celebrating him as a player for the qualities that he brings I'm not saying that he has to start every single big game for Ireland in the World Cup or in the Six Nations I'm saying that he is a really good player full stop He's a very interesting player with a character that you can get behind. Full stop. But that's not what these guys are doing. They're saying this guy needs to start at 10 for Ireland. This guy needs to go to the World Cup. That's the sort of hype that I'm talking about because it's got a measurable attached to it. Where if these players are paying attention or if they're listening to this shit and it gets into their heads, that can be damaging. And just ask yourself, if you were hyping Harry Byrne as being the next big thing in 2021 or whenever it was, and now you're not have you addressed that have you addressed that to your audience where you've gone yeah look i know that i've said previously that harry byrne was going to be the next big thing and then i kind of said that it would be kieran frawley and then i kind of said that it would be ross byrne having already said it was ross byrne um back in 2018 but now 
this time for real Sam Prendergast is going to be the guy that's kind of what my issue with it is and again I would get in ahead of that before Richie Murphy's young fella starts at 10 next year for the Irish in their 20s which is said to be an even worse year for France and England so I would say get that in order then because if you're going to stay consistent with a guy playing well and a team winning then Rich, uh, I think it's a Jack Murphy will be the guy who will be the next man up next season and there may be expectations to be adjusted when it comes to Sam so that's my thing and it is which is protect the player respect the audience don't dump on your audience and in, like their intelligence by pretending that you haven't hyped all these guys before when I get a guy wrong I talk about it all the time when I get something wrong before a match I talk about it in the aftermatch because it's interesting when you try to pretend like you didn't hype those guys for me that kind of where it steps into okay well you hype these guys and nothing happened so why should we listen this time that's where it becomes damaging for me both to the audience but also to the player who is aware that this hype is happening and then they're also aware when the hype stops and they're talking about the next guy so that's where I would step in on that one so thank you very much for listening to this podcast thank you very much for being a tier K subscriber I will talk to you again very very soon